would like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, this morning we are going to look at uh, verses 7 through 8. Uh, just to give you somewhat of a heads up, today we are looking at two verses, next week we are going to look at one verse, and the week after that, Lord willing, we will also look at one verse, and then the week after that, we will look at one verse. We're going to slow down a little bit, and I have reasons for that. Hopefully, I can make that clear in the sermons as we go through this. But today, we are going to look at verses 7 and 8. I would like to begin the reading in verse 1 and go through Uh, Verse 11, before we hear God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together, friends. Father, we thank you for your rock-solid promises that say that you will redeem your servant's life, that we will not be disowned, and that anyone who trusts in God will not be overthrown. So we thank you, Father, for these great promises in your word and for the comfort that we glean from the gospel We do pray, Father, as the gospel goes out into the world and into the hearts of your people, that you would subdue our pride. Father, encourage us in the gospel. Help us, O God, to taste and see that Jesus Christ is good. For we ask this in his precious name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, this is the word of God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Well, these two verses can be understood as a kind of balance sheet for our accountants out there. On one side, you have the losses, and on the other side, you have the profits or gain. We'll explain a little bit of what this means as we go through the rest of this sermon. But these verses come off the heels of Paul describing his life prior to his conversion, what he thought he had before he was converted, the way in which he thought about his life as an unbeliever. He had been explaining something of that 
in the previous verses. And we'll, look, we'll consider those a little bit again today. Now, you may, may remember in the book of Acts, toward the beginning, that the writer of this letter, Paul, the very same person that's, that wrote this letter, the same person who called himself a servant of Christ at the beginning of this letter, in Acts, though, the same person though different, of course, was leading the charge in hunting down Christians. Paul mentions this fact in verse 5. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. This is who Paul was prior to coming to faith in Christ. This is Acts chapter 9. This is Saul. He's referred to as Saul here. He's also Paul. It's the same person. Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went... Uh, to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That was Paul. The same person who wrote this letter was doing that. He was wanting official help to drag Christians to jail and even possibly have them executed. This is who Paul was before becoming a Christian. He hated the church, and he thought his zealous persecution of the church was gain to him. He actually thought that. He thought that what he was doing in hunting down the church, seeking to keep the church pure as he saw it, and keep these Christians out of fellowship with Jews, he thought that was earning him favor with God. Now think about this for a moment. Paul, now an apostle... This person who is now saying things like this. He's saying, to die is gain. And he's saying things like, to be with Christ is far better than than living in this age, than living in this flesh. To die and to be with Christ is far better. He calls the church that he once persecuted now, he calls that very same church in chapter 4, his joy, his crown, whom I love. He loves the church. This man once thought that murder was gain, particularly murder of Christians. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, or I thought I had, that's what he's talking about, that prior life. One part of that gain in in Paul's world then was being a murderer of Christians. I want us to stop for a moment and think about Paul's former worldview before he was converted. That is, let's consider what Paul, as an unbeliever, as an unconverted child of wrath, this is who he was. He was under God's wrath as an unbeliever. He was not converted. How did he think about his relationship with God? Whatever gain I had, he's looking back. What, was, what were his thoughts? What, what, what is this gain? Well, he referred to this as confidence in the flesh in the previous verses. What did Paul, the unbeliever, think was profitable to him? Now, in order to understand this, this question, we need to appreciate the fact that Paul is not talking about financial gain. And we can understand these verses in terms of a financial balance sheet, losses and profits, but When he's talking about loss and gain, he's not talking about financial gain. He's not even talking about earthly gain or earthly profit. He is talking about religious gain, religious profit. He's saying this, 
This is what I used to think actually earned me favor with God. That's what he's talking about in terms of gain. This is what I thought actually purchased for myself acceptance with God. That's a, this is what he thought. In his perverse self-deception, Paul actually believed he was righteous before God, that he could stand before a holy God and claim holiness, claim righteousness, a righteousness that would be accepted by God. His, in that system, in his thought view, in his worldview, in the way he thought, his Jewishness was gain. He thought that earned him favor with God. His circumcision was gain. His murder of Christians, he thought, was profitable with God. He was being zealous after all. All this, he thought, was gain in his view as an unbeliever. Now Paul, as an unbeliever, thought he could stand before a holy God. He thought he could stand before God dressed in his own righteousness and be welcomed into fellowship with this holy God. That is what he actually thought. But then something happened. Something dramatic. It was like a train wreck in Paul's life. This is not like being interested in one hobby at some point, and then later you stop doing that hobby, and now you are casually interested in another hobby. This is also not like disliking tomatoes as a kid, and then you grow into an adult, and now all of a sudden you love tomatoes, although that change does happen. This is something much more traumatic. What happened to Paul was more like crossing an intersection in your car at 50 miles an hour and then getting T-boned, hit in the side by a large truck traveling at 70 miles an hour. That's what this change was like, more like in Paul's life. Now, if you read in the news that this happened to someone, that they were hit in this way at an intersection, you would think, well, they're they're dead. They they certainly, there's no way they could have survived that. Well, this was the kind of spiritual upheaval that Paul went through when he was converted. Listen to what happened Paul spiritually. Same chapter in Acts. He's hunting Christians. He's thinking he's gaining favor with God. He's building up his prophet. Now as he went on his way, that is Paul, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Then we are told that Paul was physically blinded for three days until later when something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. And then Paul was baptized. And so at that moment, on his way on Damascus, on the way to hunting down Christians, Jesus spoke to him and converted him. He changed him. That was the train wreck. That was the car crash that Paul experienced at that moment. He was converted. He was no longer an unbeliever. He is now a child of God, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his encounter with Christ, Paul was born again. He was truly then circumcised by the Spirit in his heart. Though he had been physically circumcised and could claim that as prophet, now having had a true confrontation with the risen Jesus Christ, he was circumcised in the heart by the Holy Spirit. It was then that he was given faith, and by that faith he began to love Christ. He began to love Christ and to serve his church and to love his church. That's what happened to Paul. 
or as our shorter catechism says about this conversion, about what happens in every believer, his mind was enlightened in the knowledge of Christ. He was convinced of his sin. His will was renewed. And the Spirit enabled Paul to embrace Jesus Christ by faith and to embrace him as his Savior in the gospel. This is what it means to be born again by the Spirit, friends. And now Paul refers to Jesus as his Lord. Jesus Christ is my Lord, verse 8. And so then after this event, that event, how does Paul think about his relationship to God? How does he now think about what actually is profitable? What is acceptable to God? This is what these verses are about. This is the balance sheet. In finances, or this is the balance sheet in, in terms of what spiritually profits a person. And some of you may know this more than others. In finances, you may have a goal. Perhaps your goal is to purchase a home or to expand your business. You have a financial goal. And so you look at your balance sheet and you ask yourself what contributes to reaching that goal. If something's in the loss column, you want to eliminate those things or cut them short so you can increase the profit column. If you are in the business of making computers and you've got a part of your business that produces a part that only works in vacuum cleaners and you're looking at the, va- the balance sheet, that goes in the lo- loss column. You want to get rid of that. That's not contributing to your business in making computers. There's no gain in that. There's no gain in making parts that only work in vacuum cleaners. Well, what is Paul's objective? That's an objective on the business side. What is Paul's objective? Well, his objective in these verses is acceptance with God. We are the circumcision. This is what he told the church here. We are the circumcisions. We are the one who are chosen and accepted, adopted by God into his family. That's the objective. That's the goal. How do we get there? We look at our balance sheet. How do we get to acceptance with God and claim, being able to claim these things? We are the circumcision. How does even a good Jewish Pharisee like Paul get there? That's the question that's being answered here by these verses. Well, this is how Paul thinks now. This is how he answers those questions now. After having been born by the Spirit. Whatever spiritual gain I thought I had before, now I consider or I count it as loss. Do you see the difference? All of that. He's looking back on all that he thought he had. His Jewish background, his race of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, my passion for what I thought was guarding the purity of my people, keeping these Christians out who were bringing this new teaching into our pharisaical way of life. I was zealous to guard the purity of of my way of life and the way of life of my people. That was part of what he thought was profitable. His knowledge of the law as a Pharisee, his strict obedience to the law. He says, all of that I now consider absolutely worthless. It's loss. In terms of the objective, acceptance with God. Paul then goes from here and he increases in scope and intensity about the loss column. I've considered all those things lost. Now he he ramps it up a little bit. Verse 8. He begins here in verse 8 with the word indeed. 
the King James Version uh, translates this section here as, Yea, doubtless. Now, this is an English translation, yea, doubtless, or indeed. Those are English translations of actually several Greek words that are kind of just pushed up against one another at the beginning. And so it would read almost literally like like this, but rather, therefore, indeed. I count everything as loss. You see the emphasis there. We could get this emphasis across with, I think, the volume level. Might not get across as well just by saying the words. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything. Now, this word everything refers to just that everything. All things. Now, to make this clear, he says it again I've suffered the loss of all things. There's nothing left. All things are loss, meaning I count everything as loss, and I still, to this day, count everything, all things, as loss. That is what Paul's saying here. He had a change in heart, for sure, at his conversion. And now he knows all his Jewishness and all the things he thought were gain is loss. And now we fast forward, years later, as an apostle. Still, I count all things as loss. I have suffered the loss of all things. Now, if we go back to the car crash illustration, this would be like an insurance adjuster looking at the car after the wreck. And he looks at the wheels and he says, and he thinks they're busted, they're worthless. And he looks at the front end and he says, it's wrecked, it's worthless. And he finally determines, actually, the whole thing is worthless. It's, it's worthless. It can't be driven anymore. It's a total loss. There's no value in this vehicle whatsoever. Paul says everything is loss. This is how he thinks now as a Christian. Now, what kinds of things? Everything. Well, what kinds of things? Well, certainly his Jewish credentials, those are loss that we looked at last week. Also, his actions as a Pharisee and persecutor of the church would be included. But Paul, Paul says all things. He says everything, not just that part, his Jewishness and his zeal. He says all things. Well, what would this include? His apostleship. Loss. Worthless. His physical freedom, which he didn't have. He was in prison. Perhaps he might be freed. Worthless. Loss. His suffering as a Christian in prison. Worthless. That's, that goes in the loss column. The work he had done up in this point as a pastor, as an apostle, the letters he wrote, his singleness, his obedience to the gospel, his money or his lack of money, all, all things, all of it goes in the loss column. Everything. It's worthless. I hope we can see that. Not just worthless, but worse. It's rubbish. I consider all things lost indeed. I count them as rubbish, trash, Garbage. Now, really, friends, this is this translation here, rubbish, it's really just a nicer, politer way of translating a word that really means excrement. It means dung. That's how the KJV translates it. And I think the KJV has it right. In a similarly 
shocking manner in Isaiah, if you think this is, if that's too shocking for you, um, well, we can think about something else in the Old Testament. Isaiah also puts our righteous deeds in the lost column. This is Isaiah 64. All our righteous deeds are as filthy rags or as a polluted garment. We say this in, the, in our, confession, or in our uh, prayer of confession uh, this month. All our righteous deeds are as filthy rags or polluted garment. That is a reference to the rags that women used during their menstrual cycle. Now, these images are shocking, to say the least. And we have to remember our objective, though. Acceptance with God. That's the objective. In terms of any person, anyone, all of us, an unholy, polluted, sinful person like we all are, gaining acceptance with God, in terms of gaining acceptance with God, that's the objective, all things that we can offer are as trash, rubbish, excrement. Anything that you think you can offer to God as something that would require him to accept you and to bring you into his family is loss. It's worthless. It's trash, no matter how good it might seem on the outside. This is what we're looking at here in these verses. Paul says it quite clearly. All things Rubbish, trash. Well, if that is the case, then what does profit? What does get us there? What does profit spiritually? Now, we might think about what Jesus said here in these verses. During his ministry, he said this, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? What, what does it profit a man? How, how does a person spiritually profit it? Someone can gain the whole world and lose their whole soul. That's spiritual loss. Well, how, how do we come into possession of spiritual gain? If all things are lost, if all things are worthless, rubbish before God, what does save us? How can we possibly be accepted if my very best is spoken of in such shocking terms in Scripture as trash, as filthy rags? What, what does profit? How can we possibly be accepted? The answer to that question is Christ. In regard to having saving fellowship, communion with God, being accepted into his family, the only thing that profits is Christ. Possessing Christ. He stands there alone in the profit column, in the gain column. And everything else is on the other side. Knowing Christ by faith, trusting in Christ, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That's what Paul says here. He says that it's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, gaining Christ. That is spiritual profit. It does not compare to all of these other things, to all things, indeed, all things. Now let me, let me put this simply. Simply. How is anyone saved? How is anyone accepted by God? Once Paul had been converted, he realized and truly believed that the only way to be accepted by God is through faith in Christ. And that's it. 
And that's why he says all things a couple different times. It is only through faith in Christ is anyone saved and accepted, which we are because of Christ. Christians trust in his perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins, not our sacrifices, however good they may be. Christians stand accepted before God because of Christ's perfect obedience, not our own. When we die, our souls go to be with Christ because of what Christ did. On the last day, we will stand accepted by God, vindicated by God because of what Christ has done, because he was raised. When we believe, it's not just head knowledge that we have about Christ by faith. By faith, we come into personally knowing Christ. This is intimate, personal fellowship that we have with Christ that grants us access to God, that grants us acceptance with God, fellowship with God. Like a wife knows her husband in marriage, this is the only place in Paul's writings where he refers to Jesus Christ as my Lord. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is a very personal thing that happens to Christians, each one of us. Collectively, yes, but also individually. We know him. We trust in him. It is a very personal thing. We know Jesus, which includes loving Jesus and serving him. To know Jesus is to know and to love God. It is to be accepted by God, to be welcomed into his fellowship. That's what it means to trust in Christ alone. You cannot earn this, friends. You cannot purchase this. Now, in light of this fact, is it any wonder, is it any wonder then that Paul describes knowing Christ in this way as surpassing worth? He's thinking about this. Surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He speaks this way about faith in Christ because, because of who Christ is and because of what he has done. And because faith itself is a gift. It is a gift from God. Christ gives you faith. In, in receiving faith from God, you receive the Christ who gave you that faith. Faith itself is a gift. Faith is a gift from Christ to us, just like with Paul. On the way to hunting down Christians, persecuting Jesus in the middle of that way of life, what happened? Well, he stopped and started to meditate about his way of life, and, and he thought, maybe this isn't the right track. No, Christ invaded his life with light when he was walking in darkness. Paul was not seeking him. He was not looking for him. He was not contemplating Jesus. Jesus sought him. Jesus chased him down, even as he chased Christ's church down. And so faith is a gift. And as Christians, we come to know that. And so, and as we contemplate these things and meditate on them as Paul was here, we can say things like this, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I, know, I knew who I was before this. I didn't want him. I thought I had spiritual gain in my own righteousness, and now he saved me. Now I know the truth. That is surpassing worth. This is the same for all of us, friends. We thought we could actually gain favor with God. Jesus saved us. He opened our eyes to make us see that all things are worthless in comparison to him. Now, this is what has happened in the past. Each one of us as a believer, and this is what happened with Paul in his past, we now by faith are able to see the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. And so we can agree with Paul here and consider all things as loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. 
But we are still tempted to think like we used to think, are we not? Even as adopted and accepted children of God, we still think sometimes that we can earn acceptance with God if we're honest with ourselves. We think that some of the all things that Paul references here actually do have spiritual profit. And we would want to add those things to faith in Christ. We can tend to think this way. We see this here in Paul's words in verse 8. He says, I have suffered, past tense, the loss of all things, and still now presently I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ presently. This is an ongoing thing that he is compelled to do because of his knowledge of Christ is to continually count all things loss. I count them now presently as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so this is how we are going to end today, friends, in thinking about these things. What is it for you this morning? What good deed or history of good deeds or what part of your background, your upbringing, do you think has profit with God, is profitable in terms of acceptance with God? What is it for you? What is it that you think you can actually take from the loss column and put in the gain column that would earn you some type of acceptance with God, that would earn your salvation? What is that for you? Or looked at another way, what sin in your past are you still trying to atone for? Are you still trying to pay God back for That's the same thing. You're thinking, it was too bad. I have to earn my way towards this. I have to pay for this. You can't. All things are loss for the sake of Christ. Now this is tricky, friends, and we'll talk about this some more in the next uh, couple of weeks. As Christians, we are forgiven, we're accepted, we're justified, we are called to do good works, and we do them. We're not passive, we're active. We do good works in the power of the Spirit. We do good works to the glory of God. We want to do these things. We work out our salvation. But these good works, friends, they are always and everywhere a thankful response, response to our having been permanently and graciously and sovereignly and fully accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is what our good deeds are. A response to what God has done in the power of the Spirit. A way to give thanks to Him for having accepted us and saved us. Because we could not profit in anything that we did. And so, again, we are accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for His sake. We consider all things lost in this regard for the sake of Christ. As a Christian, and I think I said this last week, but it's worth repeating. As a Christian, you cannot add to or take anything away from your acceptance with God in Christ. I'll say that again. You cannot add to or take anything away from your acceptance with God through faith in Christ. All things are rubbish for the sake of Christ, for the surpassing worth of knowing him. We are accepted by God on the basis of what Christ has done and who he is and on nothing else.
That is why we're here. In fact, all things are loss, rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. To him be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray together, friends.